Today's podcast is sponsored by MPB, the online pricing engine that provides the right price for any camera or lens. Get free kit pickup and get paid within days, all without leaving your home. How much could you get? Find out with a free instant quote at www.mpb.com forward slash sell. Hello and welcome to the AV Forums podcast for Monday the 22nd of May. I'm Phil Hinton and tonight I'm joined by regulars Ed Selly, Ian Collin and Julian Scott. Plus, we've got a special guest tonight. Greg Lowen is joining us. He's a calibration instructor and the founder of the Professional Video Alliance, the PVA. Um, and he'll be joining us tonight, but also a few times throughout the year um, to discuss all things calibration. So we're going to get around to that. So good evening, guys. Welcome along. Hello. Hey. Right. So this week, what are we talking about? Uh, it's been a while since I've done a hardware podcast. I think I've had about a month off uh, just with the way bank colleges have fallen. And Ed was very kind to present the last podcast. Uh, I thought you did a cracking job, Ed. Thank you very much for standing in so I could have my holiday. No um, and tonight we've got a packed show. We've got a lot to get through tonight. Um, so we will probably be doing the full 90 minutes. Um, so we're going to be talking about the LG C3, the Sony A84L OLED TVs. Plus I've got the G3 sitting behind me as well as uh, Samsung QLED. Uh, so lots of TV talk tonight. If you've got any questions uh, on those or on the two BenQ projectors that we're going to be talking about a little bit later as well, um, get your questions in. Ed's going to be looking at quite a... An interesting network streamer, which has caused quite a bit uh, of conversation on the forums already. Uh, that's the Zidu Ever Solo. Uh, so uh, Ed's going to be talking about that and uh, mentioning what's been mentioned on the forums. Like I say, Greg's here this evening. So um, we are going to talk all things PVA. And that's not glue, although it's, it's what sticks a picture together. It's a professional video alliance. Uh, Greg is the former instructor for uh, THX. So if you've done your THX, calibration in the past, you'll recognise Greg from that, uh, been around the industry a long time. So we're going to talk about that a little bit later on. Plus, we've got all the usual uh, home cinema, TV, hi-fi news from Ian. Um, Ian's managed to get his internet fixed. We're a little bit panicked uh, today. We didn't think Ian would make it along. We were thinking, well, what are we going to do for the news? But he's, he's managed to pull it out of the bag. He's here tonight. And of course, we're going to answer all your questions uh, in the chat. The chat is open. And so good evening to you if you are joining us live on YouTube. I can see a few of you uh, have already tuned in. So good evening to you all. Uh, you can get your questions in on the chat window. But if you are listening a little bit later on in the week, you're listening via Spotify or another podcast provider, uh, then you can send us your questions. You can send them to podcast at AV Forums on the old emails. Um, or you can also go to AV Forums. If you head down to the bottom of the forum list, you'll find the feedback forum for the podcast. Find this episode and you can leave your comments in there and we'll get around to answering your questions. Um, and also looking at your feedback from previous podcasts. And we actually got a, a little bit to go through here um, from the podcast on the 24th of April before we get started. So, Ed, I think the first one's for you. Uh, it's about the four calls. Yes, um, it's not an unreasonable point. Um, essentially, uh, a, a um, Mark Winston says, I own the cores and the areas. It's been easier to be set up. Absolutely no toe in, two metres on the front wall and side walls, two and a half metres, three and a half metres apart, so the five degrees toe in possibly needed. Plon can play in my symmetrical room, at least. Uh, central imaging is always spot on, life size without toe in. Sound stage is huge. Um, now, I don't disagree with this. The key element of this is the two and a half to three and a half metres apart. Um, that 
a three and a half figure is to is actually is nearer where uh, my inner set of speakers are. Um, there's two positions. What the actually there's one wider than that. Um, if you stick a pair of Q Acoustics Concept Thirties down, um, unless you do something bonkers like point them at each other or things like that, they will, largely speaking, do what they do uh, with no, no more than sort of. 15 seconds of thought once you're outside of the relatively benign environments that you described there the vocals do take a little bit more work i also would say depending on the versions that you've got i do also feel that the floor standards are vastly more forgiving than the stand mounts in this regard so it is not outside the realms of possibility that we have slightly different opinions about the same thing but no if you are if you've got if you've got a, a benign setup position like that yes there's not an enormous amount of difference between the focals and anything else okay uh, hopefully that answered your question we got one other question which came in it seems to be a a misunderstanding um that comes around quite quite a bit so we'll maybe discuss this a little bit of detail um when we get around to discussing hdr in the future but uh, s word music asks uh, is brightness just to hurt our eyes at this point um and like i say this is a bit of a misunderstanding the whole thing about peak brightness uh, and nit's value is about brightness but it's not about uh, over the top brightness it's all about realism and the, the whole point of high dynamic range images is to show you something as you would see it uh, in reality and and you know, when you come to peak brightness when you're talking about high nits you're talking about very very small areas of the image you're talking about uh, if it's a chrome wheel on a car or a spoke or whatever it's it's that little bit of light that comes off of that that makes it look real you know if the sun's hitting it or whatever that's way the peak brightness comes in it's small areas of the image um, when you get to full screen brightness um, that's not really where we're going with high dynamic range um, the the full image the full brightness um, is not to burn your retinas it's not to hurt your eyes at any point it's all about realism it's about balancing the image and it's about the dynamics that have always been there, and, you know, 35 mil film that was shot 40, 50 years ago has that dynamic range. It's just that the from the capture end, getting that to your screen at home, the the pipe was never big enough to deliver everything. And now we're finally getting to the point where that is the case. Um, so yeah, I've seen 10,000 net displays. I'm sure Greg has as well. He goes to CES on a regular basis. Um, Sony did a big demonstration of, uh, b before COVID of a 10,000 nit. Actually, Ed, you were there. You were at that CES, if I remember correctly. Um, yes, that's right. 10,000 10, nit TV, and you think, well, you know, the conception was that's going to be too bright. Actually, it's the most realistic image I have ever seen. It was bitterly disappointing. I thought I was going to go in there and it was going to be like the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, and it, <laughs> and it wasn't. So, um, no, absolutely not. It was all about realism. And it, swindle. And it, was, it was a shot of a, of a car under the lighting outside one of the hotels. It was a slow panning dolly shot. And you could have sworn you were standing there looking at this car, just the way that the shadows and the highlights and everything was coming off of the off of the vehicle. And another shot was uh, like an aerial across Vegas, across the Strip, and it was like you were there. You know, it's that's kind of the point. So it's not not there to hurt your eyes. So hopefully that's answered your question there as well. And that question came in on YouTube. Uh, right. So before we get started tonight, we'll do our usual. We'll get around everybody and find out exactly what we've been up to because it has been a little while since we've all been together on the podcast. So Ed, what have you been up to? 
Um, well, I uh, first of all, I did an activity which, um, you know, you guys, I, I just don't do it that often, but you'll be astonished to learn that I had to buy another tyre for my car, because that never happens, does it? Um, so, yes, uh, I've now worked out that across the lease, I've spent over £900 on tyres. Um, wow. <laughs> do you, do no, you live I, somewhere where, where somebody's just deliberately putting screws on the road so they get... Uh, well, I don't know. Or... Maybe, maybe it's, it is a vendetta that I'm not aware about. But no, I get through a, a lot of tyres. But uh, no, that was a brief moment of excitement. But on a rather more positive note, um, this weekend I uh, had to take trainers off and my usual set of clothing off um, and I had to put a suit on because my brother got married. Uh, so that was really, really good fun. Um, uh, very small said, We haven't seen any photos of this. Do you scrub up well? This is this is what we want to know about. Well, I, I, I'm There's assured. Plenty shots of the champagne, but no shots of you. Well, I, I don't like photos of me on social media. <laughs> but, um, no, I, there are photos of me wearing a suit. And for, you know, I don't know. I'm sure if, 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 if required i could stick something in the comments thread but no um it was a, a tiny wedding uh, only only 14 of us i think oh, and that includes wow. the includes the bride, yeah, bride and groom yeah. um although there was alcohol enough for 50 so i mean that was you know, quite exciting um <laughs> but no it was it was really lovely it, it sounds a bit weird in so much as it was actually the first time i'd also met what is now my sister-in-law um but it all made more sense when we when i actually met the couple they they are they they pretty much exist for for each other so that was all jolly lovely had a wonderful time um and now i'm back at it um trying to get stuff finished for the end of the month and awaiting on samples um for uh, after after munich which is just carnage so yeah. we'll see how we go in on the run to the end of the month um adrian caliph asks uh, is that the same suit you wore to your first job interview it is not although i do still have the suit that i wore when i graduated university and even more extraordinarily um after a little bit of weight loss i'm not a million miles away from fitting in it again so you know um the first suit i wore to a job interview was, was not a good good <laughs> garment so I, I i don't have quite the same <laughs> sentimentality to that but no that's what i've been up to and you know very pleasant it was too yeah fix mix is, is says you're looped up in a suit well go. yes she was standing next to me so i mean <laughs> she is possibly slightly biased but uh, yes okay. it was excellent anyway. well glad you had a good weekend ed um jules you've been on holiday you you've yeah. almost up in my my area of the woods yeah yeah um a week in whitby it was really nice uh first time up there and um a lot of walking Nice coastal walks up there and finding fossils and yeah um, and stuff like that. But, but you know, did, that's enough about you, Phil. Did you? Uh, yeah, thanks. <laughs> Cheers for that. Did you walk the, the stairs up to the Abbey then? We did, absolutely. I didn't count them. Um, but, um, you know, um, obviously went to the next to it, which inspired Bram Stoker to yeah. write Dracula. Yeah. I, I was quite surprised there wasn't more about Dracula in Whitby. I think there was one sort of little... Dracula experience, but that was about it. We just missed the goth weekend, which was a great disappointment. Yeah, I'm sure that was. Apparently, all the goths descend on Whitby for <laughs> for a weekend. That was the that was the previous weekend, but uh, okay. I love it. We 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 came straight back and we just complete. We booked it again for September. So same place, same yeah. time. That is dangerously late in the year to get a lot of goths well, together. It's, I, I well, admire goths, but overheated <laughs> goths, you've got to be careful. You need to look after goths and make sure that they don't overheat. So yeah. I, I would have thought that later, uh, you know, a sort of more wintry setting would do them better. But well, they could combust, couldn't they, like Dracula? <laughs> Yeah, the sunlight. I, I've got to say, Whitby is a fantastic uh, little seaside town. If you get the opportunity, you've never been there, you get the opportunity. Go along because it is—it's lovely. It really and the is. fish and chips as well. Mm. Yeah, mega. Yeah, 
Uh, Ian, have you managed to get out the house or you've been busy playing games? No, I've been uh, hardly anywhere doing anything of any interest. Like, this isn't a particularly bright sort of section for me. Um, <laughs> I've, I've been playing a few games, not so much like, but that's, I've been playing Redfall, which isn't very good, but I still quite liked, but there's uh, more on the, on the website. Uh, mostly, yeah, just panicking about getting my internet back on because it just it died on me at the weekend when I had loads of work to get done, all of which required me being online. So it was a bit of a mad panic to try and A, get online, and then B, try and get a fix so I could be here with you wonderful people tonight. But uh, yeah, fortunately, <laughs> well, it has has been repaired. So glad you made it along for, for yeah. many reasons. Yeah, that's great. So you're in the life simulator. Yeah, that's great. Excellent. Yeah. Um, so what have I been up to? I've been away for a while now. So um, quick catch up. Uh, May the 4th was obviously uh, this month. Um, and the Sage and Gateshead, they had the... Um, the Northern Symphonic did uh, Star Wars that night, so we went oh, along. Okay. There was uh, a lot of um, people dressed up. There was the, uh, I think they're called the 99th Garrison. They were all there, all dressed up, Stormtroopers. There was a Darth Vader and so on. And uh, full orchestra uh, went through uh, all the films, apart from number nine. Seemingly, John Williams hasn't released the music for public uh, playing at the moment, but um, eight films worth of music, um, just the highlights of each one. Obviously, we weren't there for five days but um it was it was a really good concert so I did that i did a driving experience in york i think um uh, there's been a few of you uh, out there being on the same types of things where you get to pick your cars you get a couple of fast laps that kind of thing in with an instructor uh, so i drove a shelby cobra the real deal as well not a rep um or it certainly came from the same line of builders that built them for shelby so that was an experience i've always wanted to do uh an aston martin f1 and what else did i drive oh yeah a mustang of course i drove uh, that's holiday um, yeah uh i'm back to running again so i've done three park runs recently and back to losing weight and i saw uh, mid-year last night in concert just popped down to newcastle to see him He's did a cracking uh, lineup. So, yeah, that's what we've been up to there. And I think we're caught up with everybody. Um, and we'll come to Greg a little bit later on um, and find out if he's been up to anything interesting as well. So, before we get on with things, we've got a competition to get through. Uh, and I'm going to do this one because I think this is a fantastic prize. Wow. Um, if you have not entered yet, you need to get yourself into this competition. Uh, thanks to TP Vision, we have a Philips 65 inch. OLED 807 Ambulite OLED TV. It's worth two grand. Uh, it is up for grabs. It finishes on Thursday, the 25th, midnight. Um, so get yourself in there, get entered into the competition for that one. Unfortunately, you'll have to sit and read one of my reviews to get the answer to the question. Uh, that might be painful for you. Um, but yes, it's a fantastic prize. Uh, Ambulite, once you've lived with it, and I've been living with a, a 9374 um a few weeks now and once you take ambulate out of the equation the bias light out of the equation and put a screen up again you're like where's my light where's the you know you miss it um now it does do things that um as purists on here like greg and and jules and myself would never go to the follow video effects but you can do the follow video effects and it will follow what's on screen and put the colors behind the TV, if that's your kind of thing and you want to get that immersive experience. And I guess with gaming, it would really work. Yeah, you know, get your peripheral view. Uh, you know, it would give you that uh, that immersion. But um, yeah, it does bias light and it's got an ISF setting in there. You can even calibrate the bias light uh, that it puts yep. out on your wall as well. So 
fantastic prize. Like I say, uh, Thursday the 25th, midnight is the closing. So get yourselves into that competition. Be quick because it's a, a fantastic prize, that one. And you can also win £500 to spend with our sponsor of the podcast tonight, uh, MBP. So, uh, uh, sorry, MPB. Uh, so uh, get in and get that entered as well. Um, and of course, we've got exclusive offers for uh, patrons, so you can win playing on 4K Blu-ray. We've got Second Sight's Picnic at Hangar Rock City, Unlimited Edition 4K Blu-ray, uh, Knock at the Cabin on 4K Blu-ray, the Star Trek Strange New World Season 1 Unlimited Edition 4K Steelbook, and loads of others, including Brotherhood of the Wolf on 4K Blu-ray as well. So uh, get yourself entered into those competitions, loads of discs to win there as well and uh, obviously patrons uh, you get your exclusive competitions as well so head over to avforums.com forward slash competitions uh, to win we've got some previous competition winners uh, Roy Munson won the Kef LX uh, LSX2 wireless speaker system and the accessory that was worth over £1,200 well done on your win there another fantastic prize uh, and S Banger he won a Sure uh, Anoic Anonic uh, 50, which was the wireless uh, noise cancelling headphones. They were worth £220, courtesy of AV.com. So well done on your prize winning there. Um, and that's about it. Next, we're going to get on with the show. Right, so TV section. We've got lots to get through tonight. Like I was saying, uh, we loads of reviews and stuff to get through uh, but first of all we're going to go to uh, the news um so ian some new demonstration material some new test patterns and stuff from uh, stacy spears and dun munsell yeah yeah i, I mean it feels quite awkward because there's three people here who are clearly more qualified to talk about this than me but yeah spears and munsell uh set for the consumer release of its latest uh, diy tv calibration and evaluation package it's called the ultra hd benchmark uh, and contains their largest collection of test patterns and files yet more than 5,000 options, so many that it takes up three Blu-ray discs this time around, which should keep you more than busy for a little while. Uh, as you'd expect, there's a strong focus on ultra-high definition uh, side of things with strong HDR uh, content as well. Also caters for wide color gamut, SDR resolutions, the likes of Dolby Vision, HDR 10+. Plus. Um, new bundle also adds Dolby Atmos files to the mix along with DTSX, so you can now test that audio functionality as well. Um, pricing is due to start at... Uh, £47.95, um, but there was a pre-order discount. I'm not sure if it's still currently available. It was discounted down to £38.95. So, um, you know, is this something worth having? Yeah, absolutely. I've got my copy here. Um, so, yeah, three discs. It's it's excellent, actually. Really, really good. If you had the previous benchmark disc, um, there is a discount, I believe, uh, running. So you can fill in the form to say that you purchased the previous disc and this one's... Uh, uh, reduced for you some of the patterns are the same as last time i've got the demo footage running behind me here um, which is roughly the same as it was uh, last time around although it's now available in technicolor hdr so sl uh, hdr2 hlg sdr uh, hdr10 hdr10 plus and dolby vision um 10,000 uh, nit masters on those as well um so yeah, it's a cracking disc. Um, they've updated the montage stuff. The test patterns, I'm still working my way through uh, test patterns. A lot of them are the same, but there are some some nice ones in there, um, especially for uh, clipping and that kind of thing and checking um, uh, motion. There's a lot more motion um, 
test patterns and that kind of thing in here as well, 24 frames, as well as HFR uh, frame rates as well. So I'm st I've am only had this a week. I'm still working my way through it and using the stuff, utilising some of the patterns and so on. Jules, you got your copy yet? I haven't, no. No, still using the old one. Um, as long as it's got the uh, the horses in the blizzard, I'm all right. Yeah, still got that, and it's even got, uh, I don't know what that is, a prairie dog maybe behind us there? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah so there's, there's some new clips uh, in, in the new montage stuff. Have you seen this yet, Greg? I have. Um, really briefly, I haven't looked at it a whole lot. Um, Jules, you, you'll have a copy for you next month in Amsterdam. Hey, lovely. Yay! Thank you. you. I think one, yeah. of, one, one thing I'd say is actually I'm finding it more difficult to find clients, uh, calibration clients, who actually have Blu-ray players. Uh, more right, and more yeah. people are setting up and just going streaming. Um, so you know, I have to carry one in my in my boot with me. Um, so that yeah. that is a trend. Okay, well, that's maybe something that that needs to be looked at um, and getting test patterns and so on, uh, so you can use it through streaming services and so on. It's maybe something that we need to be speaking to providers about anyway. Um, that's the news for this week. Thanks very much, Ian. Um, it's a great uh, disc set if you're interested in DIY calibration, that kind of thing. Um, it's a, a must-have, basically. Uh, right, we're going to talk to Greg. Um, a lot of people will already know Greg in AV circles. Greg's been around a long time, like I say, a former THX uh, instructor. You ran the THX video training for a long time there, Greg, didn't you? 11 years. Yeah, it's a long time. So um, things have moved on. You then... Uh, set up the PVA. So maybe you can tell us about PVA. What is PVA and why it's important? Well, with PVA, we're going on to its, our sixth year now. Um, PVA standing for the Professional Video Alliance. And the whole idea was I didn't see in the industry a lot of um, interaction, good interaction between manufacturers, consumers, post-production people, and other industries that are all using video standards and needing calibration. We were all kind of in our own little circles. So the whole idea of the alliance was to bring all those groups together to share best practice and then to increase video awareness at the same time. So that's been the mission of the PVA now going into the sixth year. Uh, we're, we're bringing manufacturers in. We're doing consulting uh, with manufacturers. We're doing uh, education for uh, installers and post-production people to get them you know, how to calibrate and how to, how to do best practice and then uh, and trying to educate the consumer at the same time so they desire that and you know i think some people might be surprised to hear um that professionals need to come on your calibration course because i think some people have this uh, you know if they're a color grader they, they must know how to calibrate a, a tv and so on but that's not necessarily the case is it in the industry you normally what you have and certainly when i visited people like technicolor in the past they have an engineer who goes around and calibrates the screens in a, in a big facility like that and leaves the colorists to kind of get on with the job, basically. Right. I mean, like I'm, I have the class in Amsterdam next month. Julian's going to be uh, doing co-instructing with me there. Um, the majority of the people there are post-production individuals. So they're either usually colorists or called DITs, uh, digital, uh, uh, digital imaging technicians. Um, you know, they all need to know how to calibrate. Uh, colorists like to call themselves artists um, so that they don't consider themselves te technicians, but a lot of the good colorists want to know that the monitor that they're doing their art on is actually accurate. So the only way to do that is actually learn the skill set themselves. 
And another misconception, maybe Jules can jump in on this one as well, is that you know you go out and you spend sixty thousand dollars, thirty thousand dollars on a, a reference monitor. Um, you, you don't just take that out of the box and switch it on. That needs to be calibrated to a standard. It's, yeah, yeah. It doesn't come as a reference monitor. It has to be set up. Yeah, well, some of them will come with a certificate, say they've been calibrated in the factory. But of course, you know, even then, um, it's well worth checking that whether it is true or not. Um, and the second thing is monitors change over a period of time. They constantly need recalibration. Um, if you're doing work for Netflix, they, they they insist that you do almost a daily calibration on your monitor, making sure that you know the black levels are still accurate. Because you know, interesting thing about grading monitors is they've got knobs up on the front. Um, you know, and so it's very easy for somebody to come along and just twiddle with knobs, and suddenly you've lost everything without even knowing it. So, you know, um, that can cause havoc. Yeah. So, Greg, um, what is it that you offer in terms of services? Um, we've mentioned professionals, we've mentioned uh, installers. So, what is it that you actually get from uh, the PVA? Well, if you're an installer or a, in, some installation professional, we teach you a, a four-day hands-on class and actually how to do proper video calibration, uh, teaching you the science behind it, um, teaching you the techniques behind it, um, and then actually doing the, learning the skill set uh, over a four-day period. Um, then going forward, because we say we're an alliance, uh, we want to maintain a relationship with the people, with the individuals from the training, and we we support them after the training as uh, as long as they 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 be they maintain their PVA status. Uh, we'll follow up with them. We'll follow up with manufacturers on their behalf, and we we support them in the field when they're doing further work. And I guess one of the questions that people will have as well, because you know this, you start to see these certifications pop up, you know, after people's names and so on in the industry. So um, we've got ISF Image Science Foundation. You got THX who used to do video calibration. You got PVA. Is it the same across? all of these organizations, is the end goal the same? Are you teaching the same things? We're teaching some of the same things. Um, one of the interesting things about the PVA is the majority of the students in the program and actually the majority of the people that are actually certified are post-production people. They're the people that are actually having required calibrated monitors to create their content. Um, and that gives our organization a larger um, a more knowledgeable breadth um, of, of to, to do to, you know yeah. for the for no, more knowledgeable knowledge base. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, what you're talking about is it's you know ISF and THX were always on those individuals who wanted to do what Jules does, which is offer calibration services to consumers. And but you've crossed over to professional as well, haven't you, Jules? You know, you, yeah, you yeah. offer that service to to the whole uh, industry basically. Absolutely. It's, and it's great to see that tie up, actually, because as Greg was saying at the very beginning, um, it was all a bit, it wasn't joined up. So, you know, ISF THX back in the day were mainly sort of looking at integrators, installers, um, training those kind of people up and also individual hobbyists, which is how I got into it. And, and I know you got into calibration the same, the same route. Um, but uh, as things have moved on, we find, as Greg said, now that the PVA certainly is sort of catering for more and more colorists, DITs, and and um, you will still get, you know, um, integrators, um, as was the case in Italy just recently, where we did uh, we had a course there. Um, but um, it is 
it really is far more joined up now and you're seeing both sides you know all these sides of the industry coming together and and um that can only be a good thing yeah absolutely so i mean it's been a long time since uh since i've personally been on on any of the training courses i think i came over to i think it was atlanta where i did my thx training greg um would have been cedia so that would have been a long time ago probably 2010 2011 maybe around about then um so that was a that was a long time ago so i haven't actually come on one of your courses i intend to uh once you're back over this side of the pond i'll, I'll definitely pop along um if anybody's interested where can they find out a little bit more about you and, and your services and what you what you provide uh, pva.tv is, is is there a professional website uh, we have a uh, list of upcoming classes. Uh, you can contact us. You can also contact a uh, or find a, a video professional uh, to calibrate your display um, through the website also. Okay, excellent. Now, here's a question for you, uh, dear listener. Are you interested in calibration? Is it something that you've toyed around with? Is it something that you've tried to do yourself and you get lost with terminology and what things actually mean and so on. So we are in discussions at the minute um, and certainly the nine planned as yet, but uh, we're looking to bring the PVA over to the UK to do some training and tie in with AV forums and tie in with you guys. Are you interested in learning more about it? Are you interested in coming along on the courses? What kind of thing do you want to get from it? Do you want to do the full course that Greg offers professionals? or maybe a uh, enthusiast level course where um, you're taught how to calibrate your own TVs, maybe using uh, sources like, like Calman where you can do display specific calibration and that kind of thing. What is it that you guys are interested in out there? It's been a while since uh, we've done any training tie-ins with, uh, with Greg. I think the last one we did was at JVC, Greg, which was, <laughs> I think we did two or three of those at JVC. So that was a, a long time ago. Uh, Adrian Califf says he took one of your courses back in 2014. He thanks you for that. Um, so yeah, this is something that we're dipping our toes in. We want to see if you guys are interested. So if you are, um, give us your feedback. Let us know what it is uh, that you guys would be interested in. Obviously, we're, we're going to do some tie-in training anyway with, uh, with PVS. So if you're a professional and you're looking to uh, you know, up your knowledge and, and be certified and so on, there is that aspect. But you enthusiasts out there, what is it that you would like from a course? Would you like to be shown how to uh, set up your TV correctly? Look at your video chain. Make sure that not just the TV, but everything else that you're feeding that TV is calibrated and, and set up correctly. Um, and we'll certainly take that feedback on board. And who knows, we might come up with something a little bit later in the year. Um, and obviously, you guys will be the first to know about that. So before we move on, any other questions from Greg, from uh, Ed? You got anything? Well, no, it's interesting to sort of hear hear the, the mechanics of this. And it must be said, if you do, I mean, uh, I, rather than the, the full fat course, I mean, I've devoted enough of my, my concentration to uh, turntable setup, but an enthusiast level course, I could be talked around to that. Yes. Um, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a, a special sort of, I wouldn't say urgent interest, but my B7 managed to misbehave slightly earlier today so it, it is possible that i may have to consider a new television at some point in the not too distant future and yes having a better handle on 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 just getting a little bit more out of it um beyond pitch perfect and so on and so forth yeah i'd, I'd be up for that so yeah, yeah see how it goes good well i mean we all started off as as enthusiasts i mean i'm talking 
about Greg here, and I don't know how you started Greg, to be honest, uh, but I know myself and Jules kind of went along the same same route, you know, we were enthusiasts, mm-hmm. we bought ourselves spiders and, and some free software, and you know, we, we learned how we went along, and then obviously I started this uh, as a living, and I had to get trained up pretty quickly, and, and so on, and that's the route I went, and Jules came on one of the THX courses that we ran at JVC. Yeah, 2011. Yeah, 2011, so, and that's how you got involved, and set up your own business, and, and, mm-hmm. and so on, so yeah, um, there's there's a lot of things to learn, and I think the biggest thing I got um, from the courses that I did with you, Greg, and I don't know if Jules will agree with this, but it's actually the education around why you do. It's not how you do, because, you know, monkey see, monkey do type of thing. Once you've seen how it's done, it's understanding what it is that you're actually doing and what kind of effect that, you know, changing this control would have on another control. and. You're going for uh, color gamut adjustments. You know, making an adjustment here in the CMS. What kind of, you know, impact can that have on the image, in a positive terms, but also in a negative terms? And being able to look at display and tell that the inputs, that you, the software might be telling you one thing, but again, it's having that eye to see that actually there's there's something else going on here. Um, Jules, did you find that? Was that because for me that completely opened my eyes? To, I thought I was going along. Do a bit of training. It's nice and easy how you do all this. You're just going to look at the software, change a few knobs, and voila, it's done. It, it's not that, is it? It isn't. And, um, you know, as you indicated there, it isn't necessarily the case that um, each display you're working on actually has a fully functional set of controls. Yeah. Um, and I, I think my first calibration job was a, was a Pioneer Kuro. Because as we know about that, the CMS didn't work properly. Nope. Um, you know, so it was right in at the deep end. Um, so, you know, and the, the thing with the course, and I think also Greg mentioned this as well, it's, it's just the beginning um, because you yeah. never stop learning. Every single year there's a new display from the manufacturer, lots of new displays. And then, it, you know, the, there are differences every single year. So that's why I suppose being part of a network like PVA and having that continual support and being able to bounce off with other professionals um, is really important too. Yeah, absolutely. And and I'm really looking forward to, to doing one of these courses because I think um, I do this every day, uh-huh. but it's nice to have input from other angles and, and maybe somebody's figured a way of doing something that's a little bit better than the way that I've been doing it for many years or the way that you do something. Uh-huh. And actually, there might be a better way, a, a, an easier way or whatever. Greg, what's the biggest mistake people make when they come on the course? What's what's the biggest thing or preconception that they come in with? Uh, that they can do monitors or calibrator from the factory. That That's a, that's a good one. Um, or they want to calibrate it to the to what the client wants. And the client really doesn't know what they want. And it's definitely, you know, you have to start off with reference standard and then reference standard. Okay, how do we deviate from that if they have ambient light in the room or, you know, a variety of other conditions or equipment that's not not that, that's substandard or affecting the, the imaging? So, I mean, it's just it's just breaking it down from the start to the calibrated image and going through each step and how one step affects the other step and things that are going to mess you up along the way. And then giving giving the student the reassurance that the PVA is going to be there to support them after the training also. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm answering questions every day from past students saying, hey, Greg, I'm doing this set. What do you think of this? Or I'm coming up about, you know, I, I was talking to a guy a lot this weekend about how uh, his uh, jetty meter was having problems sinking. So we we spent a lot of time, 
you know, get, getting his meter working with it with a new uh, laptop he was running. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you learn every day, um, and and that's one of the things that, that I learned. You know, that was the biggest thing I learned was coming away from. It's not straightforward. It's not as easy as you think. And just to wrap up on this section, Greg, uh, Carmen Autocal. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about this. Um, people seem to think you set Carmen away and that'll replace uh, a Calabria. What's your views on on what's been said about Autocal so far? I think AutoCal has its place as a professional. I use AutoCal all the time. I'm using it with $20,000 worth of measurement tools. So I know uh -huh. that it's very accurate. But then again, I'm doing my calibrations based on a reference standard and a, and a standardized process. And you can throw AutoCal in there. But if your audio video receiver isn't set correctly or your DVD player isn't set correctly or your, your Voodoo box or whatever else you're using doesn't matter how well your calibration is everything else is going to be off so it's you know it, it, the whole thing the whole thing as a professional is you have to realize your video display is part of a system yeah. and you have to look at the entire system ambient room light how the screen affects the projector you know your different video sources your cabling all the things that that affect imaging quality and look at and optimize everything to be 100%. Yeah. Well said. And uh, just to close off Jules um AutoCal is great, but it's just one tool to help you along the way. And I, th I think for me, the main thing is time saving. Um, it does things very quickly, but you still need to be watching what it's doing. And absolutely. the actual end result is it's not a magic push the button and everything gets done. No, absolutely. Um, it's a bit like um, flying a plane. You know, pilots will use autopilot, won't they? But they have to be able to land fly manually they have to be able to know they're in control still uh, and and um yeah autocall does have its place um but you have to what you have to watch it because it, it sometimes it, it does glitch if you're doing a, a big 3d lut and you, you've sat there for a few hours it doesn't take much for it to glitch and it throws throws it out and you you, you play back your content afterwards and 99 percent of the time it's all good but the purposes you, you you watch your reference content as well to make sure that 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 um you know what it says on the paper the graphs is actually true um and that it's coming out to, as it should do so yeah, yeah sometimes yeah. it glitches okay um like i say give us your feedback let us know what you think um obviously uh we're working with greg and like i say greg is going to be coming on the podcast on a regular basis maybe once a quarter maybe a little bit more than that um if you've got questions if you've got feedback do you want to do an enthusiast course is that something that's interesting because it's certainly something that we can talk about and and maybe even look at hosting something like that um when Greg comes over to do the professional side, it's maybe something that we can add on for a few days uh, and you guys can come along and so on. So, yeah, give us your feedback. Let us know what you think. Uh, what is it that interests you about calibration? What is it you'd want to know from Greg? Yeah, if you could pick his brain, what kind of question is it that you'd really want to put to Greg? You can either put that in the chat tonight and if we've got time at the end, we'll certainly put that to Greg uh, or send us uh, your feedback via the thread and we'll certainly be uh, you know circling back to this subject on a very regular basis as we go on. Because I think as the technology improve, improves, as HDR becomes more prevalent and so on, display calibration is definitely something that you need to be considering. Uh, it's definitely something that the professionals need to be considering. Um, and you know we will keep uh, coming back to this subject because it is an interesting one. It's one that you know if you get it right, the, the rewards are brilliant. 
Um, and the technology is brilliant these days and you want to get the best out of it. Right, let's leave it at that. I've got a few reviews I need to go through very quickly um, because the reviews are up on the site. So the LG C3 is uh, the C-series for this year. Um, I guess the, the, the easiest way for me to explain the C3 is to say it's a C2 because it is. It's basically the same chassis. It's the same panel. The processors had a little bit of tinkering, so it's now Gen 6, um, the Alpha 9 processor. Um, it does a few little things differently, so uh, dynamic tone mapping goes from 5,000 separate zones to 20,000 separate zones this year. So that's quite an uptick uh, in terms of what it's doing uh, when it's assessing the image and adding in dynamic tone mapping. Should you use dynamic tone mapping? Well, it's entirely up to you. Um, if you want to see the image as it's intended to be seen and how, how it's mastered, then I would always advise you switching dynamic tone mapping off. Um, but if you think that it adds something of value, and to be honest with you, it doesn't take things too far away um, from creator's intent. And sometimes if you're in a bright room during the day or whatever, um, it does resolve a little bit more in the mid-tones and so on. So it may actually suit uh, your viewing uh, during the day and switch it off at night if you want to do a bit of critical viewing. Um, any other differences in there? Well, not a lot, to be honest. Uh, WebOS has had an update. I really don't like it. And the reason I don't like it is there's one third of the screen taken up uh, by advertising. If you don't want the advertising, it's great that LG give you the option to switch it off. It just leaves this big, huge space with nothing in it, um, which you know takes up your real estate. Um, it's not a good design. It's not well put together. So that is my gripe with it. I like the fact they've taken it down to two pages. Um, so you're not scrolling and scrolling and scrolling uh, through uh, your smart TV. Uh, you have the cards, quick cards, so you can go to work-related apps or uh, sport-related apps and so on. I like the way that they've simplified it. Um, you've got direct access to all your apps and so on. So in terms of a, a smart TV system, it is very good. They've changed the quick menu system. So, Jules, have you seen a 2023 yet? We worked on that. I have, yeah, yeah, done, uh, the, done some G3s. Yeah, so you'll you'll be aware of the, yep. the new quick menu. Yep. Basically, the main menu is the same as it has been for a number of years, but there is a new quick menu, which um, can be quite handy if you just need to go in and tweak something or you know, you're adding a soundbar or whatever. You can do it quite quickly through the, the quick menu system. Uh, but yeah, in terms of picture quality, there are very, very slight differences between the, the C3 and the C2. Um, if you're not desperate to have these uh, small incremental uh, improvements, then the C2 is considerably cheaper than the C3 at the moment. Um, so, you know, the choice is yours. Do you go for a C2? Well, you're not really missing out a great deal. Um, if you were comparing a, a C3 to a G3, uh, it's no contest, absolutely no contest. The G3 is a, a astonishing uh, TV. I'm still working on it. I'm still putting my review together. I've got a 55-inch and a 65-inch here at the moment. The 65-inch came from LG directly. The 55-inch... Uh, came via Peter Tyson, who are a retailer in the north of England. Um, they've also got a, a, a website where you can, e-commerce website where you can buy TVs and so on. Uh, they are helping us out with that because what we want to do is check that the TVs that are being sent in for review are what you're actually buying in the store. So I've got a 55-inch that's come from store. It's a retail sample. And I've got LG 65-inch, uh, LG supplied 65-inch as well. So we'll, we'll be checking that out uh, as well. Um, so I'm working on that. But if that was your consideration, the G3 is a massive step up. It's a, it's a fantastic TV. But then it's another step up in terms of panel. Uh, you've got micro lens, lens array on there. Uh, you've got the meta processing, the brightness booster uh, 
plus on there as well. So, uh, so yeah, we'll get back to that one. So the C3, is it worth the money right now? Probably not. Um, if you don't need all the bells and whistles, uh, the C2, certainly for the 65 inch, was about, I think it was about 1,200 quid cheaper. Um, so if that's of interest to you and you don't need the bells and whistles, save yourself the money. Um, if you do want the C3, wait a few months is what I'd say, because if you look at the way the pricing went on the C2, the C3 is going to do exactly the same um, over the next year. So if you can hold tight, and that's definitely the screen that you want, um, then stick it out because the prices will come down. They always do um, until it gets to a point that you're happy uh, to purchase one. So if you want more on the C3, there is the video review, which is on our uh, YouTube channel. It's also on the website. It's also on AV forums. Uh, there's the written review up there. And I've also done a settings video. This is the best settings out of the box uh, to get as close as possible to the industry standards, which is basically filmmaker uh -huh. mode. Um, Shove it in filmmaker mode. It does bells and whistles, HDR and SDR. And uh, Dolby Vision, stick it in cinema. Um, if you want uh, Dolby Vision IQ, it's cinema home, but be aware that there is processing that you cannot switch off. Uh, there is noise reduction that you cannot switch off, and it adds frame interpolation, which you can't switch off. So just be aware of that uh, if you're going to use Dolby Vision IQ um, on that. So that's a C3. The other TV I've been looking at, and uh, the review is up on the website, is the Sony A84L. It's the A80L. Uh, basically, uh, it's got different SKUs, um, slightly different model numbers for retailers in the UK. Um, I guess they do that because it stops the price matching thing. I don't know. Um, they, they all seem to have their own slight variations in model numbers. It's exactly the same TV. So it's basically the A80L or the A84L. Like I say, the review is up there. Um, the only thing I'm going to say is it's got great video processing as it's a Sony. Of course it has. Uh, motion's great. It's not that big a leap on now compared to LG. I think the, the Gen 6 uh, Alpha 9 processor, they've nailed motion now. They can do the upscaling just as well as Sony can. Um, there's not that huge gap that there used to be between Sony and the rest of the field. Everybody's really catching up. Um, so that's a bit of an issue for Sony because when it comes to their image quality, SDR, cinematic images, looks fantastic. It really does. Um, and Sony know what they're doing. You know, they, they create a lot of the... Uh, monitors that are used professionally. The guys will, you know, they work on them here. Greg will work on them. Jules will have worked on the, on the you know, professional monitors, the 310, the 300. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, Sony create those. They know what they're doing when it comes to SDR. The HDR is the issue uh, with the consumer sets. They're basically going to preserve as much of the highlight detail as possible. So if you, you know, um, Pan's a good example. It's a 4,000 nit master display uh, metadata on that disc. Um, it goes to preserve the highlights and what it does is it brings the whole APL, uh, average picture level, down. Um, so you end up with quite a dark image. Um, it's a detailed image, but quite a dark image. Um, and that's the way that they insist on doing their tone mapping. And it's always on the tone mapping. Um, there's no way to switch the Sony set, so it does a hard clip. LG offer that, Panasonic offer that. Unfortunately, Sony don't offer that on the A84L. You can't force the TV to hard clip, um, which some people like. Um, they like that option to do that, especially professionals like to have a, a TV that will do that so they can know that what they're seeing is, is correct. Um, th that's the problem I have with the Sony. It's too conservative in its HDR performance. It's too dim. It's too dark. Um, not everybody lives in a grading suite. Um, 
and you know <laughs> you need an image that's going to work this is where i think lg are doing it the the right way um which is filmmaker mode is set that little bit brighter but that's taken into account the fact that the vast majority 90 percent of people um with a c3 if you manage to convince them to switch filmmaker mode on they're going to be in a room that needs uh that type of image a little bit brighter image um than sitting in a grade and suite we don't all sit in grade and suites so this is where i think sony get it a little bit wrong with the a40 uh the sorry a 84L. <laughs> Sorry, I've been doing a lot of talking now. Um, so yeah, that's the two differences. Um, in terms of comparison, I go into this in great detail in the reviews, so please do go and read the reviews. Uh, I've done a lot of work in there in terms of comparisons and so on. Uh, the video's coming up as well. But basically, C3 to A84L, if it was my money, C3. Um, not only uh, does it have a, a, a better image in terms of HDR, not only do they do it a little bit better than what Sony are doing, the video processing is now caught up with Sony, um, I prefer the WebOS uh, smart system. And the other thing is you get four HDMI 2.1 48 gigabits per second inputs, um, which maybe wasn't an issue uh, previously, but a lot of people are now buying two consoles and so on, and they want to, you know, they've got a... Uh, a soundbar where they want to send EARC through. That's three three HDMI 2.1s already there if you've got both consoles and a soundbar. Um, so I do think it's important, and that's where obviously LG have been doing it really well for a few years now. So there you go. That's my thoughts. Go read the reviews. Leave us your feedback as well. Are you enjoying the reviews? Do you like the new layout? Um, and so on. Give us a feedback. Let us know. So that wraps up the TV section. Thankfully, I can stop talking for a little while and we'll be back in a second with Home AV. If you'd like to support the AV Forums podcast on a regular basis, then why not become a patron? Head over to patreon.com forward slash AV Forums to sign up. You can also make a one-off donation through the Super Chat or via streamlabs.com forward slash AV Forums. All donations help us to improve the website and the podcasts. Thank you to all our supporters. Right, uh, moving on to home AV. I was going to go into projectors, but I've been talking for a little while now. So I'm going to let somebody else talk uh, for a little bit. And we'll come circle back around to the BenQ projectors. So gaming reviews. Uh, Ian, you've been playing some games. Tell us about Redfall. Yeah, I kind of got the bum deal here because I ended up playing Redfall while Rick got to play the new Legend of Zelda game and he definitely got the better bargain there. Um, Redfall, I mentioned it a little bit earlier. It's, it's a game that when it was first announced, it looked like it could and probably should be awesome. And it it isn't. Uh, and with that comes a lot of criticism, some of it very justifiably so, a lot of it a little bit harsh. Um, but it's still a good game in there somewhere. But um, I mean, the reviews up on the website, you see I gave it a five out of 10, and that's more because of what's wrong with it than what's right with it. Um, it's just not a game you'd necessarily want to pay £70 for. But the good news is it's on Game Pass. So if you subscribe to that, uh, you can give it a give it a look. Um, just to basically set it up for people who haven't uh, seen or heard much about it. Uh, set in a picturesque American coastal town, gets taken over by vampires and their cult-like human followers. As, it's not wimpy, is it? So often the case. <laughs> no, no, somebody had already claimed that one, apparently. <laughs> or stake the claim, you could say. I don't know. No. Um, and uh, yeah, basically, you can either play it solo or you can play with up to three friends in co-op to go and clean up the town. Uh, one of the downsides of it is if you do want to play in co-op, there's no matchmaking. So you really do have to find three friends to play with uh, and plan ahead if you want to get a full squad together. Um, but on the plus side, the good things about it and what makes it possibly worth playing is that the foundations of a good shooter are all there. 
gives you a decent free roaming map to go and explore loads of collectibles there's things like safe houses to unlock with little side missions to help free up the neighborhood so you can you got the incremental yay on doing stuff and feeling good about it um there's a few fun weapons thrown in to help take down the vampires and certainly for at least the first few hours it's it, it's quite a lot of fun there's a lot to kind of enjoy about it but and there is a very very and a long list of buts about this that is about as good as it gets for me. Um, it doesn't really go anywhere after that. You end up doing a lot of the same fetch and kill quests. The weapons only level up when you do, so they just get better when you get better and the enemies get better, so you don't really feel that kick of getting a super cool new gun and being able to do amazing things. It's just kind of the same old, same old through to the end, except for the occasional boss fight to, to liven things up a little bit. Um, so it just kind of gets a little bit tiring. You realise that the vampires that start off being quite scary aren't, really at all and you just get used to kind of chopping them down like fodder human artificial intelligence is i mean that's kind of an oxymoron in itself because they are you know dumbs the proverbial bag of spanish for the most of the game and the game has just got a lot of bugs and glitches in it which for me i mean it's locked at 30 fps which was an issue for a lot of people as well but for me there's nothing in there that's fundamentally groundbreaking it's more that there's a lot of little things that are annoying and kind of impede your enjoyment so it's a game that i played i wouldn't say i necessarily enjoyed it but i didn't hate it because of all that's wrong with it if that makes sense so yeah it's not as bad as some people are making out but it's not exactly a ring endorsement for microsoft's xbox exclusive titles as well because it's some pc uh and xbox series x exclusive title for them especially when you compare it to the likes of sony's god of war ragnarok which came out a little while ago and was amazing Tears of the Kingdom on Switch, which I just mentioned, that's amazing as well. So there's some big games on other consoles. So for Microsoft uh, and Xbox, it's it's not really a great endorsement for them. But like I say, it's up on Games Pass. So even if you're remotely curious, no harm in taking a look, but just keep your expectations low to avoid disappointment. Thanks for taking one for the team, Ian. It was appreciated. <laughs> it was a pleasure. I'll keep doing it. <laughs> Right, uh, that's a game review out of the way. Um, right, so to finish up on uh, home cinema side of things, I've had a look at the two new BenQ projectors. Um, I'm not sure of the US numbers, model numbers. Um, you know why they can't keep the same models over the over the worldwide model numbers. I don't know, but anyway, I've been looking at the W2710i from BenQ. It's a 4K DLP single chip DLP. Um, it does the. Uh, it's a 0.47 inch. DMD in there, so it does a quadruple pixel shift tech to give you a 4K image to the eye. Um, nice tech, it does work. Um, it gives you that impression that you're looking at a high resolution image. And let's face it, a DLP uh, native 4K chip would be several thousands. Um, this comes in at 1600, I think it's 1700 quid actually. Um, so for 1700 quid, what do you get? Well, this is their attempt at a low cost home theater. Uh, projector so it is designed to be used with the lights down uh, in a, a dedicated room um, or certainly a room that you can uh, light control as much as possible uh, the usual thing with dlp technology there is a little bit of rainbow it uses an rgb rgb color wheel um, it's it's very good for the money as well i'll say um, it is uh it's you're not going to get inky blacks like a jvc um or an epson uh, laser or a sony uh, for that matter you're not going to get uh that type of dynamics you're not going to get that kind of contrast uh what dlp does very well is motion very nice motion blacks are i would say a, a darker gray basically is probably how i'd describe it you are also going to see a lot of black black crush uh, from about 10% down, there's no shadow detail whatsoever. Um, sometimes in some mixed scenes, because 
um, it is low contrast as well. You uh, you do lose a lot of detail in the shadows if there's quite a bit of light within the scene as well. Um, that's just a downside of this level of the market. Um, Color-wise, a little bit wider than Rec 709. It, it can't do DCI-P3. Um, it can't get anywhere near uh, that, but I wouldn't expect that from this level of DLP either. But in terms of uh, motion, in terms of video processing, in terms of upscaling, it, it is very good. Um, and it's 1700 quid. It's a really, really nice projector. It, it does everything that you would expect. And that price point, it's nice and bright. Um, it works well in a dark room and it definitely does blacks better than some of these home entertainment projectors, which is what I'm going to come on to with the, the 860 in a minute. It's designed for different things. Um, this is designed for movie watching and it does a pretty good job of it um, at the price point. Um, don't know if any of the other guys have seen one of these yet, managed to have a look at one. Jules? Uh, no, I haven't seen one of those. I've I've seen I've calibrated um, slightly cheaper uh, BenQs with P3 filters in, uh, which were yeah. unusable because I think it was a fifty percent light loss in them. Yeah. So you know, um, so interesting. I mean, I suppose this one's going up against probably perhaps an Epson seventy four hundred. Um, it's yeah, it's slightly it's cheaper, a, a little bit cheaper than that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah, it's 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 a cracking little machine actually for for that uh, that kind of. That kind of uh, price point. So, Greg, um, you had any uh, dealings with these projectors yet? Nope, you're on mute. Budget been cues at all? I've worked on some of the the better stuff. Um, yeah, and they're quite nice. Yeah. Uh, right. So uh, the other one was a home entertainment uh, projector. So basically, it does the the same thing. Um, so uh, it's a TK860i, it's a 4K DLP projector, it's a home entertainment machine. Blacks are not as good as the 2710 uh, because it's got more lumens, it's putting out more brightness, um, it's trying to combat a white room with a white ceiling, uh, projecting against the wall and so on. Uh, 17 milliseconds for gaming, that's what it's kind of designed for. It's got frame interpolation on there for watching sports and so on. Both of these projectors have been reviewed in full. Um, the reviews are up on AV forums. So if you're interested in that level of the market, they're both £1,700. They both do slightly different things for slightly different use cases. So if that's of interest to you, then uh, go over and have a look at the reviews. And at this point, before we move over to Hi-Fi and Ed's part of the podcast, uh, Jules usually goes for his football training. Yep. Uh, and I think Greg needs to uh, say good evening as well. So, uh, Greg, excellent to see you. Uh, we look forward to you coming back on the Blair. podcast uh, probably in the next three or four weeks uh, for the next one. Um, and we'll obviously have, hopefully, lots of questions from the listeners as well uh, to put to you. And we might be a little bit further along in terms of uh, what people want in terms of training, and we might be able to put something together with that. So we'll come back on that one. So, Greg, thanks very much for your time. You're very welcome. It's been been pleasurable. Excellent. And uh, Jules, yep. good luck with your with your training tonight. And cheers. Uh, Thanks very and, much. And I believe you're you're playing. Break away. No, 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 no. Don't do that. I try to avoid that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm playing in a charity match at Carrow Road on Friday. Oh, right. So there you, you know, go. So um, anywhere near Carrow Road, uh, you know, Jules that's right. Yeah, we, 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 you can have you can spectate if you like. There you go. <laughs> you probably wouldn't see good football, but then you don't usually. But Carrow you might Road. see a goal. Yes, <laughs> you might see a goal, which we've not seen since January. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, thanks very much, guys. Uh, stick around, though, because we have uh, Hi-Fi, and that is coming up next. If you enjoy the podcast on YouTube, then please like and subscribe. 
If you're listening to the audio version, then please leave us a rating on your podcast app. We invite you to email questions and feedback to podcast at avforums.com and join in with this episode's discussion thread in the podcasts forum at avforums. Hello there. Right. Okay. Um, as well as uh, weddings, uh, the Munich show happened uh, tail end of last week and over the weekend. Uh, it was a bit of a shame not to go. Uh, it's one of my favourite events, um, but, uh, you know, family and all that. Um, but there's a lot of news, and I am eternally grateful to Ian for putting in an excellent encapsulated roundup, uh, which you can read on the front page of the forum at the moment. He's covered all of the things that are important in that. Uh, and if you want to read, you know, of all, pretty much all, all of the sort of, there, there are any number of products at launch at Munich. Uh, I'd, I'd say that Ian has covered the ones that uh, cost less than small houses. Uh, and that are remotely relevant. So I would, I would, I would put it to you that, that those are the ones that matter. Uh, there are a couple that we will um, cover in slightly greater detail. Uh, the first is uh, the most unexpected item that appeared uh, on the um, on on the site. Uh, now, Ian, have you done any coverage on the musical fidelity speakers? Uh, I've only done basically what was uh, in the article. So that was just basically getting the basics out. So. Yeah, all I've basically got is the core details, the pricing, and that's about it. So I'm sure you could probably offer a lot more than me. Well, uh, yes. If you'd um, told me that Musical Fidelity was going to do this, um, I'd assume it was only April, the first job. Uh, I've covered a few speakers in the past, mainly from Spender, um, who uh, have built variations on the BBC 3.5 monitor over the years. The A1, they've also built ones actually called LS3.5. Um, the LS35 was designed by the BBC and it was licensed and lots of people could build it. Now, Musical Fidelity has gone and done just that. And not only have they gone and decided to build one, it is an absolutely traditional take on it. Uh, it is, um, you know, it's finished in a nice wooden box, but it looks a bit, mm, yes, it, it'll it'll be an, a, a challenging aesthetic for people not used to uh, what these speakers look like. And also as part of this they have relaunched their a1 class a integration amplifier because the ls35a if you connect it to the sort of musical fidelity amplifiers that i've reviewed recently with 500 watts they'll just melt so um they've decided to put an amplifier in which is slightly better suited for the task um i genuinely didn't see this coming i've asked for a review set because i just want to know how on earth this pans out so that's the most unexpected item uh, now we're going to move to, in my humble opinion, what is the most important item, and that came from PMC. Now, over I haven't reviewed a PMC speaker in, a, in a, about two years, but uh, a theme that I did mention in I think the last three PMC reviews is I thought they were getting a bit pricey, and recent events have only increased that perception. Uh, until the Prodigy was announced last week at Munich, uh, the entry level point for PMC ownership was, I think, £3,000, which is a lot of money. Uh, the Prodigy um, speakers, there's a stand mount and a floor stander. They are, it's 1250 for the stand mount, and I think it's about 1700 or so for the floor stander. They're still built in the UK. They are obviously going to be simpler and less ornate than the um 
than the more expensive loudspeakers. You you know there are in in rules of rules of uh, of, of uh, construction which can't be bent too far but nevertheless this has dramatically dropped the price of um pmc ownership uh for a uk built product uh, i've obviously requested a review sample as soon as i can physically get my sticky bits on one i would drive down to biggles way just down the road if i need to, if, to, to to speed that up i think this is possibly one of the most important products of the year um this mm. is part of a cycle of a number of uh european brands it's not simply british brands sort of remembering that unless you have a vaguely entry level rung to your lineup you can't uh you, you know you, the ability to then win customers over to, to to buy your more important equipment is 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 going to be very difficult to do so i salute this i think it's a really really important thing to do i think this could turn out to be if it's any good this could turn out to be one of the most significant products of 2023 um in the same vein name um also launched some product. Ian, do you want to do the um, just the brief rundown on the 300 series items? Because I know you've got that in detail on, on your article. Yeah, yeah. Basically, it's the uh, part of the classic range uh, following on from the 200 series that was announced, I think, earlier this year. Uh, so it's five new products in the, the 300 series, which is the NSS333 streamer, which is a little under £8,000. The NAC332 preamplifier, uh, same price, £7,900. As uh, the NAP350 monoblock power amp, which uh, a little bit more expensive at £12,000 a pair. Um, then there's the NVC TT phono stage, uh, about £2,700, and the MPX TT power supply for the same price, £2,700. And then there was a sixth product announced as part of their 50th anniversary celebrations with the uh, Nate50 uh, amplifier. Uh, a stereo amplifier, um, which comes in, obviously, it's a limited edition model. Uh, it's got a price tag of £2,700. So uh, I don't know how limited it is, um, but presumably, if you want to get someone, you might get there sooner rather than later. Was it, or was it 1973? 1,973. So they're doing the same as NAD did, NAD did with the uh, with their limited edition. Um, yeah. The thing is that NAD has then gone on to make a productionized version of their limited edition. I I so hope that name does something very similar with this. Don't get me wrong. I'm absolutely convinced that the 300 series equipment will be staggeringly good. It will be truly an outstanding combination of features, build and important, most importantly, sound quality. But there's no hiding the fact that these are expensive products. The, um, I'm not going to pretend that a 25 watt amplifier for £2,700 with no digital inputs, it's got three line inputs, what a phono stage is one of those. Um, I'm not going to pretend that that's a bargain, but it's not an impossible sum of money. And it is exactly the products that, that name, you know, earned its fanatical following with. These are, it follows the same thing. You've got to have something vaguely terrestrial before people are in a position to start buying your big stuff. So I think this is a tremendously important product. I have sent one of the most revoltingly begging emails uh, <laughs> I've sent in some years to see if there's any chance of being able to review one. Um, so we'll see how we go with that. I'd love to have a go. I think it's, I think it's likely to be tremendously entertaining. And I think that this is, we're going to see more of this. And it's not just celebrating your anniversaries. It's working out how you still make product relevant to um, to, to you know people who aren't 
uh, footballers. So, you know, this is this is an important one. Um, elsewhere, uh, we'll be briefer on some of these news items because they are, uh, it, I, I put it to you that they are slightly less, um, slightly less significant. Um, Cord Electronics has uh, announced uh, a new integrated amplifier. It's the, they, the first of the Ultima integrated amplifier patterns. I'll do this one in because um, I, it's an, it's an, a, a not, not a, a particularly closely guarded secret that I do some work for Cord Electronics in the background. Um, so this takes the circuit design that has appeared in the Ultima products uh, and it turns it into a one box. Uh, it's not cheap. It's eight and a half thousand pounds. And I could argue that I don't necessarily know if it has enough uh, connections for an eight and a half thousand pound amplifier, but I am reasonably confident that it will sound extremely good. Um, Elsewhere, IFI, IFI have done this the other way around. They've given us lots and lots of affordable things. They decided to um, untake the wraps off their flagship headphone amplifier, which is, do you have a price on that, Ian? Uh, I've got a, it's not confirmed because they're doing a more formal announcement uh, during the week. Uh, right. £3,700. Right. So, I mean, a lot of money, but not a lot, yeah. a lot of money. So, yes, there we go. But they, they do, IFI have the, uh, the the reasonable justification that they've built things under £100. So, you know, it's a slightly different model. Um, just outside of Munich News, uh, there were some other um, sort of fairly big stories uh, for which Ian has done some new stories. The Monitor Audio hyphen uh, that launched earlier in the month or has been an announced earlier in the month. Uh, that's yours for, I think, north of £60,000. It's a technological demonstrator. It's not so much about selling hundreds and hundreds of hyphen loudspeakers. It's providing an identity and a path which will appear at more terrestrial price points. Sim Audio unveiled the new Moon North collection. Um, people whose opinions I don't disregard out of hand. Some people went to that press launch and they said that it is absolutely outstanding. So we'll see if we can justify having a look at those. It's a slightly expensive product otherwise, but we'll see where we go. Um, then NAD have got NAD slash Bluetown. There's two different product launches. 11th of May, there was the M66 Blue OS streaming DAC. Um, this is likely to be excellent. Uh, all the other Master Series components are. I've tested the predecessor to this, and it, broadly speaking, didn't do a single thing wrong. So uh, they've presumably managed to make it better in some way, shape, or form. Um, and then, at a, again, at a sensible price, the Node X or Node 10 Anniversary Edition Wireless Music Streamer. Sorry. Uh, this is a play on the, the Node, which we know and love, um, uh, but they've spruced it up tweaked it inside and out and we're going to be having a look at one of these um am i allowed to say what else we're doing with it phil uh yep yes well not only am i going to be writing about it which is a given we are going to have one as a competition price as well so uh that's hopefully going to be well i imagine it's going to be good i mean unless they've managed to somehow make the basic one worse which i don't think you generally do for an anniversary thing um i'm rather hoping that that's going to be quite quite a decent product so uh as soon as i've got that in We'll get uh, coverage for it, and we will uh, then hopefully give you the opportunity to win it. So those are what NAD has been up to, and I have flown through this news. And the reason I've flown through this news is I wanted a little bit of time to talk about the Ever Solo, which I um, reviewed earlier this uh, earlier this month. Yeah, um, there's there's sometimes reviews go on and, and they're a little bit slow on the uptake and and they they get good numbers but over you know six months, months or whatever. Yeah. This one, 
everybody bounced on it straight away. It's done, I think, over 22,000 views. Yeah, just uh, a whisker under 22 did. at the time of writing. Yeah. Yeah, um, people are interested in this one. We, I, I wasn't expecting this. I knew it's a, I, it's a good product. I thought it was worth writing about. I did not expect it to go absolutely bananas, but it has. Um, the review is up on the site, as is a truly monstrous comment thread where um, various comments have been made. Um, first of all, it is as good as as. I think and I'm, I'm encouraged that uh, there's some early early purchasers have weighed in with their thoughts on this on the product as well, and no one has yet commented that I've got something horrendously wrong. Um, it's worth saying that the, the at the early phase of the comments for the Ever Solo, uh, I have awarded it a best in class. I have awarded it a ten out of ten score. This is despite the fact that there are certain things which it doesn't either do natively or it has to do certain things as a workaround. Most specifically, internet radio items. Um, it is possible, and this is a, an editorial line. It is possible to award something a best in class, a best in category sort of item. Be- even when it is not objectively perfect, if it is still essentially blowing everything else yeah, remotely and, and this similarly is, priced. This is the thing that we keep having to, to stress is that there is no such thing as a perfect product. The, no. you know, if, if you have it in your head that 10 out of 10 is pure perfection, then I'm sorry, but nothing is pure perfection in this world. Um, so you, know, you give it a 10 out of 10 because like Ed says, it it blows the competition out of the water. It 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 does so something so good mm. um, that it deserves that mark. It doesn't mean that it does absolutely everything perfectly because there's no such product. Yeah, um, and this is the case here. There are one or two things. If you have specialist use cases, please check the review. Please check the comment thread. Loads of questions have been answered, um, but objectively, if you have this sort of budget right now late may 2023 there is nothing under a thousand pounds which lays a glove on this product it sounds fantastic but they zidu had been doing that correctly with the alpha streamers they sounded fantastic what the ever solo does is cost less it removes some of the video functionality which from an audio perspective was always a slightly niche undertaking um and in return it gives you a software platform which is a two two generations on from what the Zidu items have at the moment, although they are supposed to be updating to the, uh, the, the Ever Solo style platform in the fullness of time. If you don't want to use Rune, and that's a perfectly sensible thing to do, it's an expensive ed- addition, the Ever Solo is just a joy to use on its own firmware. Um, the ability to simply cast the screen onto the device that you're controlling it with, so you have exactly the same menu access and touchscreen functionality that you would if you were physically pressing on the buttons uh, on the screen of the unit itself, is superb. It's been done absolutely perfectly, and it means that there's a do sorry the Ever Solo, the Ever Solo can run apps like Apple Music, Amazon, and so on and so forth, where other streamers which are trying to use a sort of native platform undertaking struggle with. They have found a workaround, and it works like a charm. And connectivity is excellent. It's built like a lorry. Uh, the biggest impediment I can say to it at the moment is that it does seem to be genuinely quite hard to buy one. Um, the early stocks absolutely just vanished. And I'd love to say that was entirely down to me, but um, it's rare 
for something to have quite such unanimity of review across lots of different platforms, people whose opinions I normally am, I am in a radically different place from, everyone seems to acknowledge that this thing is just ridiculously good. So, yes, um, but I want to thank everyone who, you know, obviously come along to read it. And, you know, the comment section has been, it's been genuinely interesting. It has, if nothing else, demonstrated the extraordinary breadth of knowledge that our forum members have. There are people who know things about Android bootloaders. That means I probably don't want to be stuck in a lift with you, but you are extremely clever. There's no doubting about that. So, yeah, that's... um. You know, something that uh, one of the more unexpected things that happened this year, I have to be honest, at, at the moment, it's going to take something quite extraordinary to turn up uh, to, to to knock that away from potential products of the year. Because, as I say, objectively, it doesn't do a single thing wrong. So, yeah, that's all good. Um, and also, I have to say, uh, on a briefer note, I did thoroughly enjoy uh, some of the comments and feedback on the Technics 1210 Mark 7 review, which also yeah. went up this month. Um, people reliving their DJ experiences, their thoughts on, act, you know, as I made clear in the review that I wrote of the product, it was not a DJ review. I'm not a very good DJ and Technics only supplied one of them. So feedback from people who are, you know, uh, actually doing DJ work on them, that was genuinely interesting. I think the consensus is through a combination of sentimentality and the fact that the casework is made out of metal, there's a lot to be said for the Mark that for the Mark Two, yeah. But as a no, piece of hardware, is, if I could get my hands on a Mark Two, and this is this is the problem that you come up against now, because the Mark Two was was built to last and from a professional role. Um, most of them coming on the second hand market have wear and tear. Um, I would love to find a pristine um, one that I could put in a hi-fi rack because that's my memory. I, I used to work on them years ago. I used to have to, you know, that was my weekend was was working with a, a pair of Technics 1210s. Um, sentimental, sentimentally, I want one. Mm. Put my hi-fi rack. I don't have any vinyl I'm desperate to play. I just want one so I can set it on the rack. And the problem I have with the, with the Mark 7 when I've seen them and, and, and gotten hands-on is is that fact there that it is the build quality just doesn't seem to be the same it's different i would argue it's every bit as rugged as a mark ii it simply isn't finished in the same way it is a much more it's a it's a ruggedized sort of thing it feels more like a um you know like the panasonic tough books uh rather than the piece of you know hi-fi equipment that was just so well built mm. that it would stand up to everything the other thing is a subjective thing. I feel that the black arm on the black deck doesn't look as good as a silver arm on the black deck, but yeah. your mileage may vary on that one. I will say that I covet, I found myself coveting have a Mark 7 just on hand to play 12-inch singles in a way that I didn't necessarily feel about the GR. You know, I would have it Autophon Concord, and it would just be, you know, when I want to play bits of my youth because it sounds like my youth did and it was it was genuinely good fun to to cover uh, we're not done with technics products either there's more more to come from from the company there there's a variety of interesting things hitting the market from them and they will eventually uh, shuffle their way over to us um in terms of things coming up uh we've got more focal we've got an exclusive review for focal coming up um i've got a big pair of uh powered speakers from klipsch 
and I'm reviewing a product just to confuse you. I'm reviewing a product which has been in production for 20 years next month. I'm giving you no other clues than that. I have a legitimate cause to review it. I'm not doing it because I'm demented. I mean, I am demented, but there is a reason why it's being done now. But it is an in, it is interesting for two reasons. Like one, um, why has it changed quite at this point, or why why has there been a change quite at this point? And two, um, uh, what happens when you do objectively look at something which entered production twenty years ago? So bear with me on that one and there's other things to be sorted once the dust finally settles and everyone gets back from their uh, their bavarian holiday so that's all good all that is left for me to do is to very briefly bring up um album vinyl and playlist of the podcast um as phil pointed out at the start of this it's been a long time since the last podcast so i've almost uncertainly unfairly overlooked um any number of great releases there's been a lot of good stuff out in may but uh, I would say, my, uh, having done some slightly odd recommendations, my album of the month, because it is basically the album of the month, um, Alison Goldfrapp, she of Goldfrapp, but Goldfrapp is a duo. So this is Alison Goldfrapp on her own, has done an album called The Love Invention. And I think it's a great listen. It's, it's recognizably similar to some of the things that Goldfrapp, the entity, has done, but released of some of the other elements of some of the things that Graham Massey considers important. It's just, uh, you know, a thoroughly entertaining, utterly rhythmic laugh of an album. It doesn't overstay its welcome. I really, really enjoy it. It is available on um, all the major streaming services on CD and vinyl, if you choose. But vinyl, because I am demented, and it's actually one of only three records I've ordered this month. Um, it's the new one from my favourite name band of all time, Warrington Run called Newtown Development Plan. Um, they launched uh, the nation's most central location, he, really. Um, uh, that was launched on Friday. Uh, I've got my orange copy on the way from Bandcamp. Uh, if you liked the first three, you will probably like the fourth. If you didn't like the first three, you will almost certainly not like the fourth. But I maintain that there is something about these weird ambient electronic albums on vinyl. I think it's a format that sort of benefits them. And I also think they're some of the most inventive and attractive pieces of album art and cover design that I've seen in a long time. So having it in a nice big size, um, I just think it makes it worthwhile. So those are the recommendations. But no, there's been loads and loads of good stuff this month. So just get on your streaming services, have a listen. New Music Friday is, is the best day of the week. And that's how it should be. Um, and then playlist. If you didn't hate me enough for Warrington Runcorn Newtown Development Plan, on Cobuzz, there is an entire playlist of Turkish and Oriental psychedelic rock. And <laughs> I'm not pretty again. sure <laughs> that most of you would not necessarily make a beeline for this one. I invite you to trust me because it's absolutely brilliant. I've there's a number of bands on there. I've been listening to some of that stuff for a while because I am demented. But no, it's it's great fun. You won't like all of it because that's how it works. But there's some really good stuff on there. And it doesn't simply sound like you are in a Turkish restaurant. I must be at pains to stress this. Um, there's some quality sounds, some very imaginative things. And if you do want the Turkish and Oriental psychedelic rock added to another streaming service, let me know in the comments and I will port it across for you all to enjoy on the streaming service of your choice. 
So I can't say fairer than that. I might choose something more vaguely mainstream next po podcast, but I'm not promising anything. Okay. I think we've done enough for this evening. Uh, thank you for the hi-fi section, Ed, uh, and, and your recommendations. I shall go and listen to Turkish and Oriental uh, psychedelic rock um, tomorrow. I'd, do you I'd, need I'd, it ported across to, to Spotify or um or uh, you could do yeah yeah, yeah no, well I'm not uh, I'm not letting you wheedle out of it I will get it across to you in a format <laughs> that you have no choice but to follow up on so yes yeah okay okay uh, right so um that kind of wraps everything up for this week uh, next podcast um next uh, hardware podcast we will be talking about the LG G3 in quite some detail. Um, busy working on it at the moment. I know that this is one of the TVs that everybody wants to know about uh, in detail, so we will go into it in a little bit of detail. Uh, the review should be out before the next podcast, so you'll be able to see what my thoughts are uh, on it, and hopefully the video review should be out as well before uh, before the next podcast, uh, hardware podcast. But yes, um, that is going to be uh, something that needs to be discussed because it is uh, you get one of these products that come along every three or four years. This is one of those products. It, it deserves the time. Um, so we will be putting that in. But anyway, uh, there's no podcast next Monday. Uh, that's Monday the 29th. Uh, there wouldn't have been anyway because it's one of those strange months where we get an extra Monday where there wouldn't be a podcast. But, of course, it's the bank holiday as well. So have a great bank holiday weekend. Uh, the Movies podcast is back on the 5th of June, Monday the 5th of June. They start at half past eight if you want to uh, watch and take part live. Uh, and then the main Informs podcast, like I say, we will be back on Monday the 12th of June. Uh, we start at the normal time at 7pm. And like I say, we'll be getting in-depth with the LG G3 OLED TV uh, because it is something rather special. Um, so my thanks to Ed and Ian for staying the course and doing the full 90 minutes. Thank you, uh, guys. And of course, all joking aside, thank you very much to Jules and of course our guest, uh, Greg Lowen uh, from the PVA, who joined us a little bit earlier on in the podcast. Like I say, if you've got any feedback, uh, you want to do calibration training or anything like that, or you've got some ideas that you want to put to us, uh, get in touch and uh, let us know what you think uh, because these things are up in there at the minute. They are at the planning stage. So if there is something that you really want um, to take place, then uh, then do um, remember to do that. Uh, I know there's some quick things in the chat window, so let's uh, very quickly do that before we sign off. Uh, for tonight. So I just want to check that we're not letting anybody down. Um, yeah, there was a comment, um, I think it was uh, Merlin1984, about the G3 and the stand. Yes, um, the one behind me at the moment um, is on the stand that you have to pay LG for, uh, because it comes with a wall mount out of the box. It doesn't come with a tabletop stand. Um, I think it's about £100, and it does have a four-degree lean back. Um, so when you put it on the stand, it does slightly lean back. Now, I don't mind it. Sitting here looking at the TV, you don't see the lean back. But uh, the 55-inch that I have, the retail sample that came from a retailer, um, we didn't get that with a stand. So I bought a Visa mount stand um, that is nice and straight. There's no lean back, and it's really easy uh, to fit that. Um, I think I bought a Visa stand from Amazon, and it cost me 24 quid um, for that TV. Um, and it looks great, Met, uh, uh, glass base, and it looks like it came with it. Um, so hopefully that answers your question. Um, and just very quickly, there's a lot, lots of feedback saying that uh, people are interested in the enthusiast level. Uh, Nigel Henry said uh, that would be awesome. If it's something we can do, we will do it. Um, uh, lots of other questions in there. Um, hopefully we've answered most of them. If we haven't, 
We'll certainly pick up on them and get them answered um, in the feedback thread on the forums. Or if we have missed them, why don't you go and stick it over there? And then I do have a little bit more time during the day when I can dip into threads and answer um, questions for you while I'm working on all our bits and pieces. If I've missed your question, I do apologize. Get it in the thread. Uh, right. Um, I think that's about it. So if uh, if you want to join us on the next podcast, uh, then it is Movies Podcast, 5th of June. We're back 12th of June. Um, again, thanks to the guys. Of course, uh, all the usual stuff, social media, all the rest of it. Do like it. Do subscribe to it. Uh, just click all the buttons and do all the bits and pieces. Uh, and I'm Phil Hinton. Thank you very much for watching and listening. And we'll catch you again on the next one. Good night.